You're listening to Review and Preview on Facebook Live. Welcome, everybody, to Review and Preview. I am back. Uh, it's been a long month. I'm excited to be back with you tonight here, Kyle. Uh, before we get any further, make sure to check us out on all social media platforms. Give us a follow below at Review and Preview Sports. Smash the like button if you like what you hear and see on our Facebook page. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter and subscribe to our YouTube channel at Review and Preview Sports. Uh, Kyle, first off, how are you? It's been a it's been been a few weeks now. You did an excellent job while I was I, while while ooh, whoa, while I was gone. <laughs> it's been a minute, definitely, but happy to see you back, Tom. Uh, I'm doing well tonight. I'm doing well. How about yourself? Doing good. Just uh, talking off that rust there for a minute because it has been a wild couple of days for the NFL. The league new year officially starts tomorrow. Players are able to officially sign with teams and make these deals. And I'm really excited for what we have in store tonight. But before we go there, make sure to give us our uh, listener support at anchor.fm slash review and preview slash support. Um, we got a little ticker right there, as you can see. But uh, we have a special guest as well who's joining us at 7.15 p.m., senior analyst of Sports Illustrated Cults and co-host of Believe in Cults, Jake Arthur joining us tonight in just a few minutes. Kyle, really excited to have him on because the Colts are a team that have been awfully quiet these first couple of days. Yeah, they're one of the few remaining teams that have yet to make a move. So pretty intriguing considering they were a team that were uh, competing in the playoffs, traded for Carson Wentz, and ultimately has not made any even re-signings of their own players yet. So very interesting to see what he has to say, Jake. Yeah, me too. Uh, we have a comment from James saying, what's up? Welcome back. Thank you very much. Uh, what a time to be back to going right into things with um, NFL free agency. It's going to be a lot of fun tonight. Uh, quick rundown of what we're going to discuss. We're going to briefly talk about Drew Brees retiring from the NFL and talk about their quarterback situation. Jake's going to come on in about 12 to 13 minutes to talk about the Colts. Then we're going to go over the rest of the NFL, wrap up the show with some Nets, Knicks talk and Rangers Islanders. So Kyle, Drew Brees retires after 20 seasons in the NFL, 15 of them with the Saints. This is a guy who started his first five years with the Chargers, transitioned to the Saints, brought them a Super Bowl. And he has so many accolades, Kyle. Just talk to me about his career and how awesome of a football player and person he was for this league. He was unbelievable. He's one of the best quarterbacks of all time. When you have the discussion of some of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, Drew Brees' name is definitely in there. And it stinks to say that, you know, if he did have another ring on his finger, that he'd probably be higher up in the standings. But 
at the end of the day, I think Drew Brees stands as a top seven, definitely top ten, top seven all-time quarterback. I think he's right there with some of the greats to ever play the game. Uh, like we all know, to win a Super Bowl is a team effort, and for a long time during the earlier 2010s, he didn't necessarily have the team together. And towards the latter part of his career, that's when they kind of assembled a real team around him, but he didn't necessarily have the arm strength anymore, as we saw uh, this last postseason against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He just didn't have it anymore and ultimately deciding to retire in that standpoint. But a phenomenal career, like you said, has all the accolades in the world. I believe he stands right now. I know it was a back and forth between him and Tom Brady. I believe it's for touchdown passes. Uh, I know he's up there in passing yards as well. I think he might lead the league all time in passing yards. Uh 70% completion percentage for a decent majority of his career. I know the last couple of years, especially one of the best QBRs in the league during the tenure of his career. What's interesting about Drew Brees is that when he got drafted out of Q, uh, Purdue by the Chargers, he was replaced ultimately by Philip Rivers because Drew Brees, his arm was shot and then had some type of miracle surgery because ultimately a couple of years later, he'd lead the New Orleans Saints, a team that used to put bags over their heads when, you know, their fans would arrive to the stadiums yeah. and he made it a respectable franchise. And doing that for that franchise uh, a couple years right after Hurricane Katrina, bring life back to the city of New Orleans, you know, can't be enough said what Drew Brees meant to the city of New Orleans and what he's meant to the league as a whole. Oh, absolutely. And I remember when the Saints were bad. They're, uh, they were supposed to be their first home game of the year against the Giants. They had their home game in the Meadowlands back in 2005. That was rough. That was rough, and that year was rough for them. But the year after that, Drew Brees comes to New Orleans, turns things around, and you know you mentioned he's the all-time leading passer as of right now in NFL history. Completions, most 5,000-yard passing seasons, threw for over 80,000 yards, and those 571 touchdown passes, which – you know, him and Brady are neck and neck for that record. And he's won Walter Payton Man of the Year Award, 13-time Pro Bowler, four-time touchdown pass leader, seven-time NFL passing yards leader, and two-time NFL Offensive Player of the Year. Uh, Drew Brees was a guy that you and I both grew, grew up with when we were younger. And now we're starting to see a lot of these quarterbacks retire, and it's kind of sad, honestly. Yeah. Makes you feel a little old, right? I'm only 20. It's going to be 21 saying yeah. that. Everybody that you grew up watching, right? Philip Rivers, Eli Manning, Drew Brees, uh, Tom left? Brady, whenever that happens. Uh, ben Roethlisberger looks like he's on his last leg, but yeah. all these guys retiring. It's rough. It's Roethlisberger, Brady. I mean, Rodgers, I guess you can kind of throw in there. He was an 05 guy, but he really didn't start playing till 08. So his, his body is younger than his age, in my yeah. opinion. Mm -hmm. um, and it's crazy. We actually have a deal that went through right now in free agency. Emmanuel Sanders just signed with the Bills. He's an older player as well. Um, do you have the numbers on that by any chance? Uh, I do not have the numbers on that signing, but that's an excellent signing. Um, yeah. Is Cole Beasley a free agent or no? Uh, I believe so. Yeah, I believe he's that, a free agent. That's a nice replacement to go alongside with Stefan Diggs, even oh. if they – that's a beautiful signing. If they weren't able to retain Cole Beasley, that's a nice pickup by them. And they have Gabriel Davis, too, from UCF, uh, rookie from last year. But back to the Saints for a minute. The Saints actually made a couple of moves at their quarterback position this week. As we predicted, they re-signed Jameis Winston today. But uh, what's really weird, and I'm still trying to wrap my head around this deal, is Taysom Hill had his contract restructured. 
The Saints signed them to a four-year, $140 million extension and somehow free up $7.5 million in cap. Don't understand. Yep. The NFL is a funny league, right? I don't I don't get that at all. All the years avoidable in the contract, and apparently it frees up $7.5 million for them to spend. And as you've seen, they have been sort of active, tagging Marcus Williams, which we'll talk about a little bit later, and freeing up some other cap to – uh, get guys on board. I know they released Janoris Jenkins as well. So they're going to be doing some stuff in the offseason, but definitely stand as an intriguing team as, you know, they're now figuring out their quarterback situation, being that they now have Jameis Winston also signed T- uh, Taysom Hill, who's going to be there for a while. It's going to be interesting to see who they work in as they're starting. It might be it might be a tandem, to be honest with you. It really might be. It might be kind of like a Fitzpatrick to a situation like it was last year. We have a comment from Tommy the Mac, McNamara. Hello, Tom. How's it going? Hope you're doing well. I know your Jets have been making some moves. We're going to talk about them a little later on in the show. Drew Brees hurt his shoulder with the Chargers. They gave up on him. Big mistake. He almost went to the Dolphins. Thank God he did it. Tommy the Jets fan. Yep. That, that saved you uh, 15 years of headache, Tommy. Yeah, that that would have been brutal. Brees uh, and Brady in the same division. That Hill contract is crazy. So it's funny. I do have a little bit of information on it. I asked in our uh, review and preview sports corner group before, and I asked Sean Militello, who is a Saints fan, host of Off the Dome Sports Podcast. So all of that, $140 million of the deal is voidable. It allows the Saints to release him or restructure him without any penalty in the future. So he'll end up probably a little over $12 million after this year in guarantees. So that's kind of like the analytical portion of it and then of course they re-signed Jameis Winston yesterday one year five and a half million dollar deal now Kyle do you think that Winston's the guy and Hill stays in his role that he was in last year because it seems like that's where Taysom Hill's the most effective however when Hill filled in as the starter last year the Saints looked pretty good yeah he was um I think he won all of his starts. I don't think they lost a start underneath him. His completion percentage was 72 and a half. Threw for four touchdowns, two interceptions. Almost had 100 QBR, which was impressive. And he had eight rushing touchdowns as well in the season uh, and 457 yards rushing on 87 attempts. So definitely impressive. Again, I don't know if Taysom Hill is the guy you want to consistently run with, knowing that he has turnover issues, uh, running the ball as much as he does. It's definitely a liability, but with Jameis Winston as well, he only threw one pass all season last year, and that was in the playoff game, the one touchdown that Tampa had, I mean, that New Orleans had against Tampa. So, yeah, I think it's going to be a hybrid quarterback situation, and they're going to wind up choosing in, uh, in training camp and then ultimately make the decision as weeks and weeks progress throughout the season. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. Uh, that's going to be interesting to monitor, observe, think about. Uh, just a reminder, the senior analyst of Sports Illustrated Cults and co-host of the Believe in Podcast, Jake Arthur, will be joining us very shortly. Uh, before that, I just want to remind you all that, uh, th- as, as you know, last year we did our NFL Draft Video Reaction Challenge, reminding you all, if you want to take part in that again this year, make sure to sign up. Uh, so, yeah, if you want to sign up, you can basically you record yourself giving yourself a reaction of your team's first round pick. It was very successful last year. Surprisingly, we got a lot of good reactions with it, Kyle, um, in particular, Nick talks with Tristan Wirfs. So that was a good reaction. And if your reaction is good, it'll be featured on our YouTube channel. So yeah. sign up. 
Definitely a fun little event that we put together last year, kind of last minute. But giving a heads up notice a month and a half out, give you plenty of time to, you know, DM us or whatever on Facebook or Instagram, whatever you follow us on. Make sure to hit us up. Whether you have me or Tom's number, make sure to let us know if you definitely want to be a part of this. Uh, come April 25th, I believe the draft is. Uh, so let us know. Absolutely. And without further ado, we'll actually bring up our guest uh, now. And Jake Arthur from the Indianapolis Colts. Welcome, Jake. Thanks a lot for joining us tonight. Hey, fellas. Thanks for having me. How are we doing? Good. How are you doing? Not too bad. Just staying busy, as I'm sure you guys are as well. Yep. No problem. And thank you again so much for joining us. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, where people can find you and your podcast before we kind of get started in with the interview here? Uh, yeah, so I've been I'm from central Indiana and I, I've been covering the Colts for close to 10 years now. Um, I've previously been with SB Nation on their Colts site, Stampede Blue. Uh, I then joined the Colts official website, Colts.com. And uh, since then, I've been with Sports Illustrated. Uh, we just kind of rebranded their Colts website. Uh, it's now called Horseshoe Huddle. And uh, I also am the co-host of the Believe in Colts podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. Uh, so those things keep me pretty busy. Uh, we're really excited about both of those projects that we're working on, of course. Uh, on social media, you can get me on Facebook and Twitter at JakeArthurNFL. And uh, the Twitter account for the website is um, at SI underscore Colts. And then also Believe in Colts is the podcast. Uh, and that's actually B-L-E-A-V. Uh, that's how the, the podcast network spelled. <laughs> so I know there's always a lot of confusion about the spelling of that. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, excellent stuff. And I'm sure you guys have been busy over the last uh, couple of days, everything that's been going on. I know we've been running with our heads off pretty much. It's been nearly impossible to follow everything that's been going on. Mm -hmm. uh, quick uh Nope, no comments on the Colts yet. So, Jake, let's kind of get into uh, the interview here um, now that we had you plug in your podcast. So um, I just want to say before we kind of get into it, the Colts have been kind of quiet so far. Um, you know, yeah. it, it's kind of surprised me a little bit, but maybe you have maybe like an inside scoop that we may necessarily not know about. Uh, well, that's that's kind of their MO going into free agency at the start of it, these first couple days under Chris Ballard. Uh, they're, they're, they're a very good team when it comes to cap management. So they since they always have, they're always like among the top five, top 10 teams in cap space. So they're always tied to all the big name guys. Everyone always thinks they're going to go out and have that ammo to, to be the Patriots and sign everybody. But that's just not how they work. Uh, they're, they're, what they really want to do is draft and develop and then extend their players. Uh, so one reason they're not really throwing around a ton of money right now, at least not contracts longer than, you know, this next year or two, uh, they've got some big contract extensions coming up. Uh, Darius Leonard and Braden Smith both need to get contract extensions coming up. Uh, Quentin Nelson's from that same draft class, but he's got the fifth year option since he was a first rounder. Uh, but no, they're uh they're kind of actually they they've they've had all their in-house guys. They want to see what other teams are offering them first. They don't want to really set the market on some of these guys because uh, they've got some older ones: Justin Houston, T.Y. Hilton, Denico Autry, who's already gone. They don't want to be the ones to set these large price ranges for these guys. So 
they're kind of saying, you know, tell us what other teams are offering you. Come back to us about it. We'll we'll see if we can get something done, or you know, you know, best best of luck, and you know, we thank you for your service. Uh, but that's just kind of what they do. They they don't go for these really big name guys right off the bat. I do think things will start picking up steam here in the next few days. Uh, they they really kind of like the the mid tier guys uh, that aren't going to be very expensive but can still can still give value. They don't really bring in like superstars as free agents. That's for their draft class. They want to draft stars. Uh, they're more so looking for role players and decent level starters, but they they don't they don't want to shell out fifteen twenty million dollars a year for certain guys. Jake, with that being said, trying to retain some in-house guys as a Colts fan and someone who covers the Colts, who are you looking to retain in this free agency or potentially bring in at this point in free agency two days in? Yeah, so they're in kind of a sticky situation defensively because there are three top defensive ends, uh, Justin Houston, Danico Autry, and Al-Kadeen Muhammad. They're all free agents. Autry's already off the board with the Titans now. Houston is going to be like 32 or 33, so you don't want to give him a lot. And his numbers are starting to decline. His playing time starting to decline. Um, so they they really got to kind of weigh that. I, I thought Autry had a better chance of coming back than Houston. Um, T.Y. Hilton, I know they very much want to bring back. But, they're again, they're not going to shell out a fortune for him. His, his availability has dipped a little bit because of injury. He's not been injury prone throughout his career like a lot, a lot of people say. But these last couple of years, he has been banged up quite a bit. Uh, but they they did ask him, you know, go tell us what the best offer you get is, and we'll see what we can do about it. Uh, Xavier Rhodes is probably the next most critical guy. Uh, they they got him playing back at a Pro Bowl level last year when he was kind of a scrap heap guy. Uh, the Vikings fans wanted him out of there, and the Colts were able to kind of revive his career a bit. Uh, but that being said, he's had an All Pro to his name in the past, and he played at a high level this year, and he's he's older but he's not too old uh so therefore he's probably going to have a pretty decent market uh, but that's that's kind of the main guys they're they're looking at absolutely yeah that defense is definitely important to uh try to retain some of that core in there but we have a question from tom mcnamara asking what's the indie fan base feeling about carson wentz it is dead split uh, there's a. Uh, there's a, a big faction of Colts fans who just wanted the Colts to trade up into the top five, top 10 and try to get Justin Fields, Trey Lance, Zach Wilson, whoever they wanted that next quarterback to come through the draft. And, you know, just someone with a clean slate coming in the, into the NFL um, because there's, there's a lot of people who saw Carson Wentz the last year or so and are just very turned off by that kind of think he's beyond salvaging or that even if he plays quality football, he's not going to be worth what the Colts gave up, which really isn't much. Uh, I was perfectly fine with what they gave up, even though I was part of that trade up class of, of fans. Um, but no, th- then there's the rest of them who are just glad the quarterback carousel is, is kind of stopped for now. Uh, it's a quarterback they know has played at a high level before and they recognize the name. And it's, it's not a quarterback that's Jacoby Brissett or a quarterback that's 38 years old. So a, a lot a lot of them are really happy to have him around because they think Frank Wright can turn things around for Wentz, which is very possible. Uh, a lot of people around the league think that if he's going to get turned around anywhere, it'll be here with, with Frank. 
but yeah, I would have to say it's dead split 50-50. Yeah, and no, I agree. That connection that him and Reich have from Philadelphia, we're definitely familiar with both as Giants fans. So it's definitely yeah. interesting. 15 and a half million this year in 2021. So definitely an upgrade over Phillip Rivers. You know, you saw what he was able to do behind that offensive line. So it'll definitely be interesting to see. Yeah, potentially. Through. Yeah, I, I like the supporting cast that they've put around him. Um, I think the expectation is that people hope they can at least get the Phillip Rivers level out of him because Phillip was playing above average football for the most part. Um, he doesn't have to be an MVP, but they just kind of hope to get above average play out of him to, to make that trade worth their while. Now, Jake, with Carson Wentz, one of the biggest sticking points with him uh, in terms of his days in Philadelphia, especially last year, was that I believe they had 12 different offensive line changes periodically throughout a 16-week season. Now you look at the Colts, they don't have that problem. But left tackle Anthony uh, Karen, Karen Zaro retired. Who do you see them being an option? Maybe an Andre uh, Villanueva potentially? Yeah, so that's obviously you, – you love to talk about how good the Colts' offensive line is. But then there's that big, well, left tackle is now a, a big void. Uh, some of the names I had on on my watch list here, I, I kind of did a big board of uh, Colts free agents I, I wanted uh, wanted to see them go after. Uh, luckily, the left tackle market hasn't really dried up all that much yet. Uh, I didn't think Trent Williams was really much of an option anyways, because after they get Quentin Nelson and Braden Smith, those contracts done, their offensive line is going to be incredibly expensive. And adding adding the cost of a guy like Trent Williams was just going to allocate way too much money to the offensive line. Uh, but like Riley Reef from the Minnesota Vikings, who they let go, I think that's an option. Uh, looking at guys like James Hurst uh, has played for the Ravens and the the Saints. Roderick Johnson from the Texans. Um, Russell Okun from the Panthers. Jason Peters. I know he's really old at this point, but. Uh, you're probably noticing I'm, I'm mentioning guys that aren't long-term options, really. That's I think the best mode of operation for them to do is just get kind of a safer, cheap veteran, someone you're comfortable starting. You're not looking for Pro Bowl-level play for him, just someone to get you by, and then look for that next long-term starter in the draft. Because in these first one, two, three rounds of the draft, there's a lot of really good options for guys that a you can plug in and play right away if you need to, or b they have a really high ceiling if they just sit for a year and develop a little bit. Um, so this is a really good draft for that. That's why I think they just need to kind of make a modest signing in free agency. Jake, you bring up a lot of good points, and I kind of want to touch on one that you brought up: how the Colts build through the draft. Just because they have a lot of cap space doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to go on a shopping spree. A lot of people tend to think free agency is a shopping spree, and it really isn't. It's meant for you to add pieces to your team here and there that can help you benefit because good teams build through the draft. And, you know, you see it with a lot of these good, consistent teams every year. Like, of course, it hurts to see Bud Dupree and Denico Autry go to the Titans, but you wait, you wait it out, let the buyers spend, and then you bargain later on on players who will come to you for less than what they're worth. And we saw it last year with, you know, guys like Logan Ryan who went to the Giants and there's plenty of others as well. So with that being said, the Colts did give wide receiver Zach Pascal a second round tender 
are him and T.Y. Hilton coming back, or what's the deal with that? Do you think one or maybe both of them, or possibly none, come back to the Colts? Uh, I think Pascal is all but a sure bet uh, because, they, like you said, they gave him the second round tender, and I don't see another team put it, you know, offering a second round pick just to acquire pa- acquire Pascal. Not that he's not a good player, but you, if you were if you put all the current NFL players in the draft right now and you're starting everything over, Pascal's not going in the second round. You know what I mean? Um, I think the only team who would maybe entertain it is Philadelphia because Nick Sirianni is now their head coach. He's very familiar with Pascal. He loves him, but I, I just don't see that happening. So I do see Pascal coming back. T.Y. Hilton at this point, it seems like it's 50-50. Uh, there's been some interest out there. I've heard names like uh, the Miami Dolphins, the Green Bay Packers, Kansas City Chiefs, uh, teams that really could use someone like Hilton to either get over the hump, you know, staying in in Super Bowl contention or into playoff contention more so like the Dolphins. Uh, The Dolphins also have agreed to terms with Jacoby Brissett. So I I think that makes the possibility for them to bring T.Y. a little stronger. It's a familiar face. T.Y. is from the Miami area. So that's a possibility, but I, I think, but my, my latest feeling really is that he's going to be back. Uh, I think it was Josina Anderson today tweeted that she heard from one of the receivers with, you know, was asking, uh, you know, why aren't, why aren't these free agents coming off the board yet in, in, in this NFL free agency? And they just responded the the wide receiver market really sucks right now. Basically it's, it's not very good. And so, T.Y. Hilton is over 30 years old. That makes me think that he's probably not going to be getting some great offer somewhere else. And I've always thought the, the Colts would be willing to match any reasonable offer for him and, and bring him back here. Uh, I, I think he'd be a great asset for a new quarterback like Carson Wentz. So gun to my head, I would say that T.Y. is coming back. But, you know, he, he does have other suitors. Jake, some of them. Uh, more notable free agents on this Colts roster, uh, a Malik Hooker, who only played two games last season, a Marlon Mack, who I believe tore his ACL in the first game of the season, and a guy in Xavier Rhodes, which you brought up earlier. Uh, evaluate these three guys, and out of these three guys, who are you more looking forward to potentially bringing back? Yeah, so uh, Hooker and Mack both had Achilles. Uh, Mack was game one, and Hooker was game two. Uh I think both of those guys are probably not coming back. I don't imagine Marlon Mack is going to have a huge market. You know, no, no one's trying to, to give a running back their second contract coming off an Achilles. You know, people aren't lining up for that. Uh, but that being said, his vision and patience were always two of the biggest assets in his game. So I don't think the Achilles thing for Mack is, is a death blow to his career. Uh, I just – I just see him being one of those guys that maybe signs to a team later in free agency. I don't think it's going to be with the Colts. Um, If it is, it's because he probably doesn't have much of a market and the Colts do value him still. And they would look to, you know, pair him with Jonathan Taylor and Naheem Hines again, but make no mistake about it. It's Jonathan Taylor's backfield. Now Uh, as for hooker, he's the, the, the most notable free agent on the Colts that I don't see coming back at all. Um, Things have just seemed a little rocky at times uh, during his career. A couple of his seasons have been ended due to injury. He's been injured or coming off some sort of procedure for multiple off seasons. 
So he hasn't, he's only had like a couple off seasons healthy and fully able to, you know, get, get engaged. Um, his, his first three games of his career, he had interceptions. So he looked like he was going to fulfill that, that Ed Reed kind of projection. A lot of people said for him, uh, but that was under a, a diff, a different defensive scheme that really fit him a lot better. Uh, and the cover two defense, it's just not, it's not as ball hawk friendly for a guy like Malik Hooker, who's was kind of a younger football player and doesn't, he just doesn't have the whole world view of the football field. Uh, but his replacement, Julian Blackman, that's kind of his calling card is his football IQ and knowledge and just how he sees the game. The, the Colts really have a good young safety tandem now with, with Blackman and, and uh, Kari Willis. So I, I think the fact that Julian Blackman came on so well as a rookie last year in replacing Hooker, I think that really made him expendable. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with you there. And another defensive player I want to bring up that kind of flies under the radar is Al-Kadeen Muhammad, a guy who uh, – a Don Bosco kid who's not too far from my house. Um, he uh, – as a local guy, you know, I kind of kept a close eye on him growing up. Do you think he can take that next step as an NFL starter if he joins another team? Uh, I think he kind of took that next step with the Colts, to be honest with you. Uh, he was with the Saints early as a rookie – and then I believe he was a training camp cut, and then the Colts brought him on. Um, he's a he's a fine player. He kind of is what he is at this point, I think. But I I think that's a very serviceable player. You know, just because he's probably not going to be like some high level starter or anything, doesn't mean he doesn't have a place. Uh, I would really like for the Colts to bring Muhammad back. He's a great rotational defensive end. Uh, his pass rushing has gotten a little better each year. Uh, but his, his his prowess against the run really can't be overstated either. He's a guy that really knows how to set an edge. And the fact that they just lost to Nico Autry and Justin Houston may not come back either. Their only other defensive ends under contract are Kamoko Toure, another Jersey guy. Um, Tyquan Lewis is kind of defensive tackle, defensive end. Uh, he's probably going to be looked to fill some of the Nico Autry role. And then Ben Banigou, who was a healthy scratch most games last year. So... I really think there's a lot of value in bringing Muhammad back. And Jake, we've seen the offseason already. Carson Wentz is uh, trying to fit within his team, already working out with guys like Michael Pittman and Desmond Patton. Uh, yeah. The rookie Michael Pittman specifically, what type of leap do you see him making this year? Yeah, that's that's a really bright kid. I, I think he's going to have a big year. Um, his dad, Michael Pittman Sr., was that running back from the Cardinals and Buccaneers back in the day. So he kind of he already kind of had an, an edge on how to be a pro. Uh, his dad taught him that, but he's he's got everything the Colts really value in a player. He's selfless. He's a team first guy. You don't see a ton of receivers blocking with tenacity, and he does that. Uh, he's really good after the catch. He's got strong hands. Doesn't drop a lot of balls. I think he only dropped like five in all of his time at USC. Uh, big target. He can win contested catches. So. I see him taking the next step. Uh, they drafted him to be their true X receiver, you know, the, the top alpha dog receiver. I don't know if he'll be that yet in year two, but I I think everyone after his rookie year around here kind of all thought, okay, yeah, he's going to take that next next step next year because he looks really good already. So I, I think he will be a pretty good starter next year, and then probably by year three is going to be pretty well talked about around the league. 
So Jake, just two more questions. And this one kind of dates back to how the Colts performed last season, especially in those playoffs. As Kyle and I kind of both agreed that uh, the Colts probably should have won. Well, not probably, but definitely should have won a playoff game against the Buffalo Bills. They lost it. I don't think the Bills won that. So a lot of people are in love with the Colts heading into 2021, positioning themselves as threats, whether it's the Chiefs or the Bills, to win the AFC. What are your thoughts about that and all the hype in uh, surrounding Indy? Yeah, I, I think they sh- they should be thought of as a playoff team. Um, I just don't know if you can call them contenders yet because we have no idea what to expect from Carson Wentz, and they haven't filled a couple of their most of the most important critical positions on a football team: left tackle and pass rusher. What they have right now at pass rusher can't that can't be what they go into in twenty twenty one. Like I said, they just have Tere, Banigou, two young guys with a ton of potential, but haven't haven't proven to be guys you can hang your hat on. And then Tyquan Lewis, who I, I do think is a very good player, but they have to have more bodies at, at defensive end. They have to bring more pressure, and they have to just have a more consistent pass rush. Left tackle speaks for itself. You know, you can't you can't go into a, a season without a left tackle. So I think if they get those those big holes filled with adequate answers then I think they should be considered, you know, late AFC playoff contenders to make a late run. But uh, I'm, I'm comfortable, even not knowing what Carson Wentz is going to bring, I'm comfortable calling them a playoff team because of what's around him. Uh, outside of left tackle, we know that offensive line is really, really good. Jonathan Taylor looks like he could be a top five running back next year. Uh, the, the pass catchers around him are around Wentz are decent enough to to get by. They just maybe need another piece or two. Uh, the defense was excellent last year, uh, and they really haven't lost a whole lot. Um, I mean, I, I mentioned the the pass rushers, but th- those guys they they weren't prime pass rushers to begin with. But they do need to add more to that. Um, but yeah, they they know what their needs are. I, I think they'll get those filled. And they'll uh, they'll continue their run as a playoff team. Yeah, that's definitely an interesting point you brought up there. Uh, and my last question is, what's been your favorite free agent signing so far? Obviously, nobody has officially signed yet, but around the NFL, what has been your favorite deal that has come out? That's a good. That's a good question. Um, man, I'll I'll have to excuse some some heart wrenching ones for ones we really wanted for the Colts over here. Um, I loved Johnny Smith to the Patriots. I really wanted him here in Indianapolis. Uh, Johnny Smith to the Patriots was a good one. Corey Davis, another Titan uh, going over to the jets, whether they're investing in Sam Darnold or they're going to take another quarterback pairing Corey Davis with Denzel Mims. I love it. I love that, uh, that signing. And then, um, Man, the, the Jets made another good one with uh, Carl Lawson. So yeah. those, those were probably my favorite. I can't really give you much favorite Colts ones because they haven't, they haven't really joined the party yet. So uh, We actually have one final question from a fan, mm-hmm. Tom, again. Will Andrew Luck ever make a comeback? <laughs> yeah, we get that a whole lot. Uh, yeah. I'm going to say, I'm gonna say no. Any Anytime, he's never really asked about it. I mean, I, he still lives around here. But, you know, anytime like Jim Ursay or Frank Wright, Chris Ballard, anyone's asked, he is retired. 
he, he's enjoying life with his wife and daughter. And that's just a dude that never needed football. He always had other interests and other things going for him outside of football. And, you know, Anthony Costanza was his best friend on the team. He's not, he's not there anymore. So not only is his best friend on the team gone, that was also his left tackle. Um, I, I don't, I don't see Andrew coming back. Um, I think especially if it, if it doesn't happen, like after this season, I don't ever see it happening, but I just really, I, I wouldn't say never right now, but if he doesn't come back after this next one, I would say never. Agreed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thanks for that time. And Kyle, any, anything else you wanted to add or. No, we, we covered what we can so far as the Colts really haven't made any moves in free agency. We, we yeah, they, have, they haven't given you a lot of ammo yet, guys. <laughs> yeah. As we'll wait to see what they do in the coming days. But until then, Jake, wanted to thank you so much for joining us tonight. We really appreciate the time and the insight on the Indianapolis Colts. And good luck in free agency and the NFL draft. It's going to be a lot of fun to see what these Colts put out there in 2021. Yeah, absolutely, guys. Thank you so much, and good luck to you as as well. I know you're going to have a lot of fun on the show talking to people. (laughs) Excellent. Awesome, Jake, and we'll uh, talk to you soon. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Take care, guys. All right. Thank you. Take care. That was Jake Arthur from Sports Illustrated Cult. Kyle, he had some good insight there on on Indianapolis. Yeah, definitely gave me, you know, a new perspective upon the Colts. You know, going into the offseason, we thought they were going to be big spenders, but obviously they kind of – taking the backseat to that approach as they have not made any moves. And as Jake has alluded to, that really doesn't expect any big moves really coming aside from just resigning guys that were on the team last year. Yeah, no, absolutely not. Let's get into the meat of what's been going on the last couple of days. And it all starts with new England who who's going on um, a free agency frenzy. Uh, Bill yeah. Belichick pretty much turned off the salary cap mode in Madden. That's pretty much what he did. Um, we're actually going to have Kevin Fitzmorris from JDF to come on next week to kind of like dive more into that as free agency kind of, you know, the meat of it wraps up. But first off, they re-signed Cam Newton to a $13.5 million deal, which I was surprised by, number one. And I'll just roll through this list, and then we'll kind of collaborate on it. They acquired Trent Brown from the Raiders, uh, and they only gave up a fifth-round pick for it, got a seventh in return, and both of those picks – are backloaded into next year. They traded away Marcus Cannon to the Texans. Ties to Nick Casario, so they kind of did a good deal with them. They signed Jonu Smith and Hunter Henry, two tight ends, two. And they drafted two last offseason. They signed Edge Matt Judon, which I love. Four years, $56 million, but a good signing nevertheless. Devon Gottschalk from the Miami Dolphins, two years, $16 mil. Jalen Mills from Philadelphia, safety to a four-year deal. And then they get Henry Anderson from the Jets, and then two wide receivers, and Nelson, no hands, Aguilar, and Kendrick Bourne. That is, oh my gosh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. That's eight signings that were not on the team last year. Yeah. And I actually saw this. Somebody tweeted it out. It's, it's unbelievable what Bill Belichick was able to accomplish. So out of those eight signings, Six of them, uh, I'll tell you right now, Matt Judon, the combined salary for next year, Matt Judon, Cam Newton, John Smith, Jalen Mills, uh, Devon Godchuck, Dietrich Wise, who they also brought back, and Kendrick Bourne only combines for next year's salary cap of $31 million. So all these guys are making no money next year. 
It's all the the backloading of contracts, which is quite surprising considering that the Patriots are one of those teams that didn't necessarily have to do that, knowing that they had about seventy plus million dollars in cap space to spend this offseason. Bill trying to prove he could win without Tom Brady. I, I saw a lot of that in the comments, uh, you know, just on Twitter and Instagram. I don't necessarily agree with that. The Patriots were a good team last year. They went seven and nine without Tom Brady, had the most COVID opt-outs. Cam Newton was two and one before getting COVID and then was never really the same. They finished off the season seven or nine. You're telling with these signings, with a Cam Newton that, again, still had 20 total touchdowns on the season last year, didn't throw for a lot, I think eight and 12, 12 running, that could win. That could compete. That could put them right back in the competition for the division with the Bills. That really could, to be honest with you. Everything that they've done defensively, and then offensively as well, a two tight end scheme with some decent wide receivers, put them right back in the mix. Oh, absolutely. And that's probably more than what they had with Brady last year, assuming Edelman is back with the team. Um, it's going to be interesting. Thank you for the comments, Sal. Keep them coming, folks. We love answering questions and comments from the fans. And James is sick of this New England banter already. Reminds mm-hmm. him too much of Tom Brady. Uh, yes, we will be talking hockey. Uh, towards the tail end of the show. So you're going to want to stick around for that. But, yeah, New England just went off yesterday. I was shocked. This Historically, this doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. No, I don't think that they've – I don't think they've ever – I talked to a lot of Patriot fans that I know. I don't think they've ever seen anything like this where they just kind of not even broke the bank but just signed all the top guys that were really available between Judon, Jonu Smith, Hunter Henry, Jalen Mills. They just signed guys left and right. Just because they had the ability to, not necessarily because yep. they needed everybody, but they that's exactly what they did. But I don't think it's more so trying to prove you could win without Brady. It's just that's how they can compete for the first time in a long time. They've had a legitimate amount of cap space to do something like this. And from coming from a seven or nine team that was COVID struck and ridden by opt-outs, that'll put you right back in the 10-11 uh win conversation, I think. Cam is shot. Tommy, well, I don't, I don't disagree with you, but Tom, yeah, you go, you go. My bad. From an arm, from an arm perspective, yes, but he still had twelve rushing touchdowns last year, and that can't be overlooked. He can still bring you down the field, and if you get a good line, find a replacement for Joe Tooney, which um, Kevin Fitzmaurice kind of alluded to on the sports box last week. They did draft a guard last year in the draft, Michael Awanu, something like that. Yeah, and he was one of the best. He was one of the best guards, too, quietly one of the best offensive linemen drafted last year. Yeah. But I think they'll be in a good position. I don't, I'm don't. i not going to say that Cam is shot again because you never know how COVID affects the body. Like I said, you go back to those first three games of the season that Cam played, Cam was competing against some of the top dogs, some of the guys that finished off high in the season. Again, he was never a throwing quarterback, even when he was with the Carolina Panthers. Yeah. But I'd make the argument to honestly say this might be the most talented offense that he's ever had to work with in his entire quarterback career in terms of weapons being given. Because now, even me, when yeah, no, sorry. Go even ahead. Even when even when he won his MVP and took the Carolina Panthers to the Super Bowl, his leading receiver and touchdown catcher was Greg Olson, who's a he's a great tight end, but that's not usually the case. You usually have a plethora of receivers, which he didn't necessarily have. So he's had a lot of success. I think Bill is saying. You know, we're going to run it back with Cam. Let me put him in a system that we know that he's worked with before and had success with, and that's running a tight end option. I agree. Now, let me ask you this. Do you remember what the contract was last year when he signed with New England? It was a one-year. How much was it? Do you remember? Like six, maybe? Yeah, I think it was like six or five, but that it breaks down to those same numbers again, Tom. It's not a um, 
it's not a thirteen million dollar deal. It's only no. it's only five. Right. It's only five. So I, yeah. Pretty much the same type of deal, an incentive-driven deal in which yep. you could earn up to $13.5 million. But listen, I'd, I'd take that risk on Cam Newton for another year. If he put up 20 touchdowns having COVID, you know, they'd definitely be better. And having no weapons last year whatsoever, right? I'd say they'd be poised to make a good push this year. And for him specifically, I think the touchdown pass stat is overrated. He's done a lot throughout his career without throwing too many touchdown passes. But you definitely want to see him improve in that scheme. Under Josh McDaniels, more comments now, James. No, I just want you to say the Islanders are looking really, really good. Uh, no, I James, said you it. just you just shot us in the foot. Tom's back on the show. Jinx and the Islanders on that nine-game win streak. You got to yep. remember things, man. James, the Islanders right now, and I know we're talking football. I'm just going to make this one liner. The Islanders are looking like the best team in hockey. And on that note, the See, Patriots are doing something smart. Yep. They are doing something smart. They signed two tight ends because he can't get the ball downfield anymore. Well, yeah, that's a good point, too. You want to dink and dunk underneath crossing patterns. You throw to your tight ends. Yep. That's an excellent point. That's why guys like Edelman, Bourne, and Aguilar all make sense. That's why they're trying to deal away Nikhil Harry. Uh, Next, we'll kind of talk about the Houston Texans, but before we get there, I don't know if you knew this, uh, Damian Williams just got released by the Chiefs. Yeah, that happened a little while ago. That's no surprise, though. He opted out of last season, and they drafted his replacement, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, in the first round of last year's draft. So not really a big surprise, but definitely a, Damian Williams, when he played for the Chiefs, in his, I think he only played one year there or two years there. He was a decent running back. He's not a stud star running back, but a nice pickup for a team to potentially add is – maybe a number one or a solid number two option. Let's get to the Houston Texans. Uh, They've been inking up a lot of deals with their new GM and head coach, Nick Casario, Dave Culley. Obviously you have the drama with Deshaun Watson, him and the organization not getting along, not on the same terms. They start off by signing Mark Ingram to a one-year deal up to 3 million. They acquire Marcus Cannon from New England expat number one. They signed safety Terrence Brooks from New England, expat number two. And then they signed former Pats defensive end Derek Rivers. So that's three players from New England already on Houston's roster heading into 2021. They also signed Justin Britt, who is a former center for the Seahawks, Justin McCray, to a couple of offensive linemen. They get Andre Roberts, who's an outstanding special teams guy. And then they get Shaq Lawson from Miami for Benardrick McKinney, Um, I can see why they did that, Kyle, especially after signing Kirksey from uh, Green Bay and then Camus Gruger-Hill. I could see why they traded away McKinney but because they also have Zach Cunningham too. That's a pretty decent linebacking core considering the short-term deals they've been making. Yeah, and Whitney Merciless as well on the linebacking core. They have a good – again, the defense for – this is these are a lot of – we talked about it beforehand. These are kind of just like Band-Aid – contracts to kind of yeah. keep them sustainable as a football team because and you know Tyrod Taylor was one of the acquisitions as well on a one-year 12 and a half million dollar deal Tom you even said it before the show is that you know you don't sign a quarterback a backup to 12 and a half million dollar contract yeah I think ultimately Casario is going to be forced to either live without Watson and not trade him or ultimately trade him but th- these are contracts to kind of sustain yourself as a franchise to get maybe a couple wins in 2021 because Lost a lot of key pieces over the course of the last couple of seasons, and I don't really think these guys are going to help them 
in terms of success and wins that much. Right. But I think if you're in his mindset, you did play this relatively smart because what else are you going to do? You know? Oh, yeah. Like, well, li- yeah. listen, you're not going to convince the top dogs to, to, to sign with your team and you're not going to overpay for them to get them on your team. So you sign a lot of deals that yeah. will keep you somewhat relative and, and afloat as a franchise. It's like seven or eight one-year deals, too. And we have a comment from Paul Lombardi, going to miss Dame. was looking forward to him and Clyde being a duo. Yeah. Um, I don't know how much he accounted for against the cap for them. I'd, I'd assume it wasn't too much. But, uh, yeah, Clyde's the lead dog in their backfield. So, And they still have Daryl Williams, too. So I wouldn't be too worried about losing Dame. But, yeah. I can see why a lot of Chiefs fans liked him. He had those big plays in the big game Yep, a little over a year ago. Um, yeah, let's move on to the Bucks. Let's talk about those Bucks, Kyle. Tell me. I mean, the this is what good teams do. They find ways to retain their core, and they don't go out buying other pieces trying to bring them in, especially in a season where the salary cap is very, very tight, tighter than normal years. Well, they said exactly what they were going to do is that, and I think I think Arians was the one who said it at the parade. He said, nobody's going anywhere, and that's exactly what happened. They tag Godwin. They bring back Barrett on a massive contract. They bring back Levante David on a nice, short, but contract-friendly deal. Uh, Rob Gronkowski, you know, he's got to be brought back. I think the only guys that they haven't brought back yet are Sue and Fournette. But, I mean, Fournette, and, Fournette is more replaceable, I think. Oh, Brown as well. Brown. Antonio Brown, that's another guy, but I think he's going to be out there for a while because at the end of the day, at this point in his career, now that he's not a great player and can't play on another team, I don't think he wants to. I think he's going to be one of those guys like a Rob Gronkowski, like, you know, we know we could win with Tom Brady. That's the only quarterback I want to play for anymore. So he's going to be a guy that at this point in his career has made his money, might sign a, a one-year $5 million deal with a lot of incentives that will come later off in the season, but – a guy like Leonard Fournette, who helped them tremendously in the playoffs and Super Bowl, that'll be interesting to see if they bring him back because Ronald Jones sort of fell out of the lineup and they don't necessarily have a number one back at this point in time. So to see if they run it back with Leonard Fournette and bring him, he's one of the only remaining guys out there left from this Bucs Super Bowl team aside from Sue, who we just talked about. And Shaq Barrett got a really nice deal. Four years, $68 million. I like that for him a lot. Levante David, older player, two-year, 25, pretty good deal. So they retained four core players. Uh, I like that, what Tampa Bay did. And, you know, if you had to ask me right now who the odds are uh, in favor to represent the NFC in the big game again next year, it's Tampa Bay, guys. I mean, yeah, there's it's, it's hands down. nobody else. Yeah. Know? I think the only team that would even be competitive against them is probably the Rams at this point in time. But again, that's a roster that's just been put together over the offseason. We'll see what even happens with new acquisition and Matt Stafford. But this time when I pick Tampa in the beginning of the season, I'll stick with them when they make to the Super Bowl. I'll promise you that one. (laughs) Yeah, you know, I could definitely see it. Let's talk about the Buffalo Bills. This is an interesting team to break down because the biggest thing for them was were they – or were they not going to be able to retain Matt Milano? And I'll explain to you why. When the Bills had Matt Milano in the lineup this year, they were outstanding. When they didn't have him, they weren't that great defensively, and it showed on the football field. And that's why I think he got a four-year, $42 million deal, Kyle. Yeah, he's a key part to that defense, kind of gels it together. If there was a guy uh, – to be known as an outsider looking in on that defense, because I talked about it a lot uh, in the beginning of free agency, saying that 
that might be a team that splashes out for a bigger name defensive talent on the front. Uh, if there's a name to be remembered, along with a Tredavious White and a Tremaine Edmonds, it's Matt Milano. He's been absolutely fantastic since coming out of Boston College a couple of years back, four years back. It's not really slowed down. They restructured a couple contracts and made sure they could retain a key piece of the success. I like him a lot. They retained the right side of their line, Daryl Williams and John Feliciano. And then yeah. they went out. They got Emmanuel Sanders tonight. Good for them. Good yeah, for them. That's a great signing. That's a great signing because he hasn't necessarily slowed down, helped the Saints out last year, helped the uh, 49ers halfway through the season when he was acquired by them on the Super Bowl run a couple years back. And you brought it up before. I'm interested to see if they can retain Cole Beasley or not because right now I'm looking at their receiving depth chart. It's Diggs. It's Davis. And now it's Sanders because John Brown's not coming back. So, well, well, Jake just said it right. The the, the receiving market is horrible. So yeah. there's, there's there's he's probably not going to be cashing in. Although we had a fantastic season, I think his age is also going to be a part in that. And at this point in his career, he might want to be with a contender. And Buffalo, knowing the system, seeing the success he had, might take that pay cut instead of necessarily cashing in. Now, staying in the AFC East, let's talk about Tommy Max Jets. The Jets were a team that came out with a lot of cap heading into this offseason. We knew they were probably going to make some moves with the new GM. I think they kind of missed out on interior offensive linemen when the Chiefs snagged up Joe Joe Thune yesterday. Yeah. And then they also lost out on the other guard, too, whose name is slipping my mind at the moment. Uh, Lindsley, the center, oh, the actually, center, yeah, center that went to Chargers. Chargers, yeah, highest paid center in football now after that deal. But anyway, the Jets they come back and they got a few guys. So they signed former Lions linebacker Gerard Davis to a one year deal. They signed Corey Davis from the Titans, wide receiver, to a three year deal, and then they get Carl Lawson, three year, forty five million, which. Probably overpaid for him, but I love the deal. I love the deal. That is sneaky. That's probably, in my opinion, the most under radar, under the radar signing that the whole league should be talking about, not just the New York market. The whole league should be talking about that signing because the Jets need an edge rusher. They need somebody to get to the quarterback. And I think he's gonna look great and green in 2021. Yeah. Everywhere that you read, everywhere that you hear about Carl Lawson is yes, he only had five and a half sacks last season, but a guy that put pressure on the quarterback, that's the guy that in terms of free agency and a person that you wanted, that's somebody that you wanted and somebody that the Jets desperately needed. Obviously, seeing that Robert Sala is a defensive-minded coach, he's going to look to build this defense up as you know they had to trade away and didn't have some of the best defensive stars over the last couple of seasons trading away at Jamal Adams. C.J. Mosley has only played maybe five games in a Jets uniform, if that, between getting injured in his first year and opting out of last year of that contract. So – Having a solid linebacking, edge rushing core together, need to figure out that secondary. But Tommy, in the comment section, real quick, Tommy, before we get to your comment, I, I just got to ask this. The Jets have so much cap space, but they did this the other year, too, where they signed C.J. Mosley and Le'Veon Bell. They had two huge splashes in free agency, and then everything else was quiet. Do you see that kind of being the same sticking point this season, adding a Carl Lawson and adding a Corey Davis? And then even though they have so much money to spend, they're kind of letting guys go by and – not right. necessarily there being that much left out there. I mean, you could comment, but I know we got a comment here by Tommy as well on the Tooney contract. Yeah, a year can't do it. Unfortunately, not a win-now team. Yeah, you can't – listen, you're not going to pass up the opportunity to play with the Chiefs and get your money to, to yeah. go play with the Jets. So 
I can't disagree there. Can't disagree. And the Chiefs had more money to throw at Tooney because that Mahomes deal doesn't take into effect until next year. So technically he's still making less than like seven or eight other quarterbacks in the NFL at the moment. They magically freed up 17 million over the weekend. And now they signed Joe Tooney after releasing uh, both starting tackles from last year, former number one pick at Eric Fisher and Mitchell Schwartz. So I thought that was horrible for Kansas city that they had to lose both of them, but they're both coming off injuries and, you know, the Chiefs do have Lucas Niang on their roster. They could draft a flyer with an Alex Leatherwood or Liam Eichenberg out of Notre Dame to play tackle for them. So there's a lot of guys that they could uh, easily replace these two guys with. I mean, honestly, my biggest concern for them is, you know, you hope they could retain Austin Ryder in free agency or if you try to upgrade from him as well with maybe a Creed Humphrey in the second round or maybe a Wyatt Davis out of Ohio State as well. But their line is still definitely a concern to the point where you had to go get Joe Tooney, regardless of Duvernay Tardif is coming back or not. You had to get this guy, and they did. Yeah, no, definitely. Time with another, com yeah, another comment. But one other thing I want to say about the Jets, you went out and you paid for a number two receiver. The Jets need a number one. Unless you think Denzel Mims could be that number one, then as good as this Corey Davis signing is – are you going to roll with Mims and Davis in twenty in twenty twenty one? Are those going to be your guys, Kyle? Do you think Mims could emerge as a number one receiver? I think Davis could emerge as the number one receiver. The only reason why Davis didn't really emerge as the number one receiver in Tennessee was really two reasons. It's not because he wasn't good. It's just that AJ Brown was a freaking monster, and Vrabel in Tennessee decided to have a uh, you know run first offense where they didn't necessarily wore that big throwing team. I think the bigger question to ask with this Jets situation, and I don't really think there's any way to tell, but with these moves in drafting a Corey Davis, uh, adding a Corey Davis, I would assume that means you keep a Sam Darnold and potentially add more offensive pieces around him versus yeah. drafting another quarterback or something like that because they've kept on to Sam Darnold while all these quarterback vacancy holes have been filled. Yeah, keep Darnold drafts. Uh, see, we'll get a receiver at number 23, I think he meant to say. Yeah, yeah. Is where they pick. That would be interesting. I'd like to personally see them trade back, Tommy. I don't if they're not if they're not going to take a quarterback at number two, Jameson I don't Crowder. think you need to stay in there. Jamison Crowder's there as well. Yeah, I forgot about him. Yeah, that's a good point. I wasn't nice. sure if he was still under contract or not, but I forgot they signed him last offseason. So, yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. And then the tight end, you hope that position pans out for them. But, yeah, there's guys. I mean, I don't think Rashad Bateman falls to 23, but if he does, you definitely take him. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how that pans out for the Jets. And then Sal also saying that Juju is out there too. I, I'm, which, a, I'm, I'm happy you brought that out. I just saw a tweet uh, from a Giants reporter, and apparently they're not talking about uh, Galladay anymore. They're talking bringing in Juju. Yeah, well, Galladay's market. It's is, too expensive, but Juju so, is just. Right, but it's not as expensive as what was originally advertised. Now they're saying it's between the 14 to $16 million range instead of 18 to 20, which is what, or 20, 21, whatever it was. But 14 to 16 isn't terrible. I don't think the Giants should do it. I don't think they're going to do it. I don't think they've ever been serious contenders for Galladay, in my opinion. I always thought there were more serious contenders for a guy like a Curtis Samuel rather than Galladay. And 
Yeah, I mean, look, I think our number one receiver has to come at number 11. It can't come in free agency. I mean, this is not 2005 where you could sign Plaxico Burris for six years, $25 million. Six years for $25 million. You're not going to get that with Kenny Galladay. Yeah, I don't know where Juju ends up. I don't really know what the market is for him now that the Jets have kind of filled the void uh, and uh, and picked up a guy in Corey Davis. I thought that he was going to end up – I predicted he'd end up with the Raiders. I don't really think that's going to happen either as they seem to like slowly be blowing it up. But we'll talk about them and what they've done in yep. their moves this offseason. Uh, James got another comment. I do not want Juju. And then he's got another one after that, Tom. I just want to say when James types in all caps, that's a serious matter. He, he he's mad. He's very. Yeah, he doesn't mad. want Juju. Uh, if we bring him in, might have just kept. Listen, it is what it is. I would say this, James, to rebuttal your statement. OBJ proved he could be number one. Juju has proven he just cannot be that number one. We cannot talk about Odell when it's just Ky- when it's just Kyle and I because yeah, that James, will turn sure into that will turn into a four hour argument. He's trying to exhaust us here. Um, comment Samuel, Samuel wouldn't be a solid sign for any team. Yeah, his 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 yards after catch is like unbelievable. It's one of the best in the league. That would be that would be a nice addition for anybody. That's who I thought also, we would get. Yeah, and you've seen him in Carolina in the first year really under Matt Rule is that they used him in so many different schemes. They used him as like a running back partially as well. Yeah. I think that's where he got a lot of his touchdowns too yeah. within the 10-yard line. So obviously the Giants as far as wide receiver goes, they signed John Ross today to a one-year $2.5 million deal. But the bigger news is, and we're not going to spend too much time on this because, Kyle, you and I are doing a recording on this later tonight. They extended Leonard Williams to a three-year $63 million deal, lowers his cap hit from what he was making on the franchise tag from $19 million to $11 million this year. Um, we got Big Cat back. I don't know about you. I'm excited to have Leonard Williams, and at that point, now we could finally start making moves in free agency to position us for the NFL draft and the 2021 season. Yeah, I mean, Tom, we'll get into it a little bit later, but quickly, you know, I, I don't, I don't like the contract personally. I get it that because of the Me cap too. situation, it has to be backloaded, which backloaded puts them in a all otherworldly type paying for a defensive end that's not necessarily in that conversation with a Joey Bosa and a and an Aaron Donald and a Miles Garrett, but that's kind of how they got to pay him for the second and third year of that contract. But they had to do it uh, again. I don't know the cap situation with the Giants, but I don't know what money we have to spend necessarily yeah. at this point in time after a contract like that. So, Well, we cut Leonard Williams almost in half from 19 to 11. So – that saved a significant amount. And then Nate Solder apparently took a steep pay cut. But the last thing I'll say on Leonard Williams before we transition is I'd rather have him and overpay for him than resign his tag and talk about, oh, crap, we didn't keep either Leonard or Dalvin. We're screwed. So I'd rather be in this position than in the latter of the two that I just mentioned. But I did hear from somebody. It might have been David Yates, one of our viewers, um, said something about how this deal is there's a lot of incentives in, into it with signing bonuses so that it won't really hurt the cap much in 22 and 23. So I'm interested to find out more about it because Dan Duggan really, he's the guy I go to for Giants news. He hasn't really reported much like 
about that either. Like he doesn't even know the Giants cap situation because the Giants are keeping it on the low. They don't want people to know. So that's what it is. Be an interesting off season. Yeah, but um, speaking of the Giants, they lost Kevin Zeitler to the Baltimore Ravens. Obviously, the Giants cut him. Ravens signed him to a three-year, $22 million deal. Then they also re-signed their linebacker, Tyus Bowser, which was really critical after losing Matt Judon to the Patriots. Bowser's back on a four-year deal. I like what the Ravens did. There was no way they were going to keep both Bowser and Judon, so I'm glad they kept one. And I think they re-signed Pernell McPhee as well. So I think they're in a good spot heading into the draft. Yep, they have to leave uh... – they have to leave money available because Lamar Jackson is the next quarterback up to get a yeah. massive contract. I think that they're quietly going to make a move at the receiver position. I think that they may be in on a guy potentially in a Will Fuller or maybe a Curtis Samuel because, again, they don't necessarily have that number one. And I'm not saying that Curtis Samuel will be the number one, but you'd have a decent plethora of receivers for Lamar Jackson to throw to rather than just having a Marquise Brown. And I don't even know if Willie Sneed is coming back, but that's their wide receiver situation at this point in time. I think they have Miles Boykin, too. We'll have to talk to Fonz about the Ravens within the next couple of weeks. We'll have to get him on here to kind of get his analysis heading into the draft. I know he's already doing mock drafts. I usually wait until free agency is over to start looking into mock drafts, but I know we're going to be doing some. So, folks, if you're watching right now and you want to join us live to do a mock draft, please let us know. We'd love to have you on one week. As we get closer to the draft, Kyle and I will be here covering that content for you. We're going to be very busy over the next month and a half getting ready for the draft. But love it. Uh, Ky- yeah, Kyle, I want to ask you this question before we kind of talk about some of these other signings, because there's a lot to go over. Uh, which signing has surprised you the most so far? Signing in terms of team that ended up with the guys, signing in terms of money that that guy got, or – what are we the looking initial shock waves that entered your body, like, oh shit, like this actually happened. The initial shock waves. I'm, I'm looking through our list right now because there's so many guys. I would say, to be honest with you, the, the signing that sent shock waves through my body was the Joe Thune signing. Getting some of the most money from a team that was so cap struck just a day before they signed them. And sign him to a massive, massive offensive lineman deal with a lot of guaranteed money in it. That probably sent shockwaves just based on shock that they were able to manage to do something after just signing a guy to Travis Kelsey in a massive contract. Patrick Mahomes, the half, half a billion dollar man, Travis Kelsey asking for a contract reconstruction. And they were able to do that as quickly as they did and still managed to throw out an $80 million contract to a Joe Thune, the best offensive lineman on the market yeah I like that, that was probably the that was probably the biggest shock i like that i mean outside of him and Taysom hill i mean i'd probably you know it's difficult i'd have to go with ronald darby getting three years 30 million only because he signed with washington last year for a one-year four million dollar deal and as great of a season as he had i was not expecting that so good for him though he, he definitely deserves it yeah uh, heading to the Broncos. They got, they re-signed Shelby Harris too. So Denver will be an interesting team in that AFC West. But speaking of the AFC West, the Chargers signed center Corey Lindsley from the Packers, reunite him with Brian Balaga 
and make him the highest paid center in the NFL, five years, $62.5 million. Insanity right there. And this is excellent for a guy like Justin Herbert because I think a lot of people underrate the relationship between a quarterback and a center. When a center leaves, that's a huge transition for a quarterback. I think Herbert learning under a veteran center like Corey Lindsley after Pouncey retiring, that definitely helps him out a lot. No, it definitely does. And I know that you, uh, I think Tom, you specifically told us this is that now he reunites with his former Green Bay Packer teammate and Brian Balaga. You know, they're trying to strengthen that offensive line and protect him for years to come after having a very impressive rookie season. I know that they released Trey Turner, their left tackle, who they kind of experimented with, a trade for uh, Russell Okun, a player-for-player type deal. So they'll be looking out for that. But that offensive line is now solid uh, starting at that center position. And they, the Chargers also re-signed Michael Davis, which was big. I know a lot of teams were looking at him. Cornerback market's been interesting to monitor. Shaquille Griffin got the bag today from Jacksonville. They definitely overpaid for him for yeah. a, num- a number two corner, in my opinion, Kyle. Three years, $44.5 million. That's a lot of money for Shaquille Griffin. I think he's like he's, – he was probably the best corner available on the market, if not really the only corner available on the market with any sort of stature or resume put together over the course of the last couple seasons. I know Mike Hilton was out there and – some other guy, but that was really the stud cornerback name. And he's not, again, he had a decent, I know he made the Pro Bowl last year. So he's not a bad cornerback. And, and Jacksonville being a team in which they're rebuilding, they have to throw money to players of that magnitude. I think it comes out to around $15 million a year or something like that. They have to throw that kind of money out to get players on that team. But like you said, for a number two, may have been a little bit of an overpay, but when they have as much money as they do, it doesn't really matter that much. No, I agree. Jacksonville's made a lot of moves. I mean, they got Marvin Jones today on a two-year deal. That was potentially nice. a good weapon for Trevor Lawrence. It's good to have a veteran receiver on your roster for a rookie quarterback that's coming in. Um, you know, I'm confirming it right now. T. Law is going to Jacksonville. That's where he will be playing in 2021. That um, would be a shock if that doesn't <laughs> happen. That would be a shock. Yeah, I mean, I hope he does. I hope he does. Yeah, they're building a nice little core for him down in Jacksonville of receivers to throw to D.D. Westbrook, Chris Connolly, D.J. Chark, and now Marvin Jones. I like it. And yep. they went out. They bolstered their defensive line a little bit. They acquired Malcolm Brown from the Saints, and they signed Ray Robertson Harris. They signed a lot of no-name guys. They signed Ray Robertson Harris from the Bears. I didn't even know the man existed. Yep. And Sean Jenkins getting a four-year deal. I didn't know who he was either before – uh, yesterday, I'll be honest with you. There, I, I didn't know who that was. Yeah, that's what they did. It, again, another, I would say, a very surprising, surprising offseason. Again, one of the teams that I believe they led the league in terms of having the most cap availability and not being able to really land any of these named guys. Maybe Urban Meyer's mindset is to build with the draft instead of necessarily building through free agency. But again, having that much cap space to not get any of these big name guys to come over. It's a little bit of surprising. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be interesting to monitor. We talk about guys that have gotten re-signed. The Packers re-signed Aaron Jones to a four-year deal, $12 million a year. Uh, that's impressive that they were able to keep him. I know he was linked to the Dolphins. I'm not sure. I think you might have had him going there. Yeah, I thought Actually. he was going to wind up there. I thought he was, but uh, I guess it didn't work out. I was surprised he signed for that little, to be quite honest with you. I thought he could demand more, but I guess the market was low due to the cap struggles this year. 
Yeah, I mean, it's the wide receiver market's taking a hit too. So yep. that market's going to slowly creep back up though next year, I'm sure. And then the Lions retained Romeo Oquara and the Rams retained Leonard Floyd, which I wasn't shocked by. But four years, $64 million, it's a lot of money for Leonard Floyd, $16 million. What did – yeah, he's getting less than um, Shaq Barrett. So – yeah, that's no, a lot I'm sorry. Him, he's though. getting more. He's getting no. more than Shaq Barrett. I think Shaq Barrett came out to 18. I thought. Oh, right he's, I could he, be wrong with that. He's getting less. He's getting less. Yep. Shaq Barrett's getting more. But it was just, it was surprising just because of, again, uh, another team that you think has absolutely no money. Because I think they brought over Matt Stafford, who was making about the same as Jared Goff. You knew they had really no cap flexibility. I didn't hear any cuts that they made, and I didn't hear any restructuring of contracts that they had. So to keep a guy signing him for $16 million a year for the next four years was another kind of surprise, not because he wasn't a good player, but just because they could afford something to do something like that. Yeah. They've, they've been an interesting team. And then we have to talk about, um, I don't know if anyone else has really been re-signed. Kyle Juszczyk, five-year deal for a fullback. Uh, Marcus Golden back with the Cardinals on a two-year 9 million. Remember he wanted 10 million last year. Yeah. He's getting two years for $9 million now. And, yeah, I guess we'll talk about the Browns, too. They got a, a safety, John Johnson, from the Rams, three years, $24 million. I like that for them. And then they got McKinley as well from the Falcons. So uh, talk about those two guys because the Browns had defensive struggles last year on defense, in particular that playoff game against Pittsburgh where the defense just let Pittsburgh get back into it. Roethlisberger was throwing – I think he finished out with 500 passing yards in that game. I love the signing and acquisition of John Johnson. I think that's a, a name that we'll hear uh, as Cleveland tries to uh, reimburse themselves, trying to rejoice back in that playoff mindset come next season because the safety position was probably one of their lacking things. But now having Grant Delpit, who will be healthy, who they drafted at LSU last year, who I think is a monster uh, to line up with a guy in John Johnson, I think that's going to be a nice secondary uh, for them as well. I think Tack McKinley, that's more so a flyer. That was like a that, that was kind of like a bust draft pick that didn't really necessarily work out with Atlanta. I think he was drafted by Seattle first, actually, right? Did he drafted by Seattle and then went to Atlanta? That might be the wrong player, but I think that is the case. I'm not sure. But he didn't work out with Atlanta. Signs a one-year, $4 million deal. Really no harm in doing that. Kind of see if he works on that front line with Sheldon Richardson, Miles Garrett. Um no, it doesn't hurt the cap. It doesn't hurt them necessarily. It can only further help them in terms of building that defense up. Yeah, I think I think McKinley was drafted by the Falcons. I don't think I, I don't know if he was with Seattle prior to that. I'm not sure, but um, Yannick Ngakwe really surprised me. That that deal with the Raiders signing for two years, twenty six million. I thought he was going to get a lot longer of a commitment especially after they cut all those linemen why do you think the deal was this low i guess the market was really low you know switching in between seasons from two teams being with uh the vikings for the first five six games of the season and then switching over to baltimore and this is nothing to take away from him but being on such a defensively dominant pro bowler left and right defense it kind of takes away the value of what you necessarily have to show it's probably not the team you necessarily want to be on in terms of having the spotlight solely on you in terms of cashing in with a contract, but that's an 
excellent, nice acquisition for the Raiders as the defense is one of their worst issues. Uh, they ranked like 30th in the league last year. But that's a nice acquisition to line up on the other side of Max Crosby, who's been a beast the last couple of years. Uh, Tommy Mack, the teams that restructure contracts will pay the piper and eventually be in salary cap hell. We'll see, right, Tommy? Oh. We we had no idea about the outcome of this season, and look where we're at. Yep. Yep. He's right, though. He's right. That's why Gettleman came out and said he doesn't like to restructure deals. As giant, as giant fans, we know that. But we're in uncharted territory this year. But back to the Raiders – what is going on with their line? They're just cutting everybody. They cut Rodney Hudson today. They traded Trent Brown away. And then they cut Richie Incognito and Gabe Jackson, both of their starting guards. So you lost your whole interior and a tackle. Who's left? Colton Miller? Yeah, that's nobody. about it. That's about it. Uh, Derek Carr is in a lot of trouble next year. I'll tell you that much. I would not bet on the Raiders winning more than like four to five games if they don't fix that line. Yeah. Let alone the line of defense as well, because the defense, they just have absolutely nothing out there right now. But the line specifically, you know, we saw what happened when Derek Carr got hurt because the line was porous. And, and they'll have to determine what they want to do necessarily at that position. I don't know where they rank in draft pick, but they could be primed to draft a guy. Tom, I know, you know, watch college football. Rashawn Slater is all I'm hearing about at a Northwestern, an absolute animal. They yeah. could be in prime position to draft a guy in him and solidify the offensive line. But that interior – Knowing that Rodney Hudson is a three-time Pro Bowler, probably one of the best underrated centers in the NFL, and just kind of let him go like that. Uh, kind of a surprise, to be quite honest with you. I don't know where the Raiders are picking in the draft. I know they're in the teens, I believe, because they didn't make the playoffs. But They only um, won about seven games, so they're probably within the 13 to 18 mark right now. They're picking 17th. think Rayshon Slater falls that far? You think Probably uh, not. Probably not. He's isn't he? He's the second best lineman behind Sewell. So yes, yeah. He's which is actually surprising because last year the draft was stacked with linemen. But speaking with linemen, we'll transition to the defensive side of the ball as the Bengals signed defensive end Trey Hendrickson, who was second in the NFL in sacks last year, had thirteen and a half for the Saints, who were not able to retain him. Hendrickson gets four years, sixty million. And then they went out and signed Mike Hilton as well, cornerback from the Steelers, four-year, $24 million. Kyle, why did Trey Hendrickson sign with Cincinnati, uh, a team that's probably a couple of years away from getting back to re- uh, relevancy? It's all about cashing out, right? That's, that's how some players' approach is, going from a really winning situation and Still quietly one of the better seasons in the NFL, finishing off at 13 and a half sacks, finished within the top five, and yet nobody really talked about him all season long. And that could partially be because of the fact that he was a benefactor lining up on the other side of Cam Jordan, who's been one of the best defensive linemen in the NFL the last 10 seasons that he's been in the league. Um, But it's all about cashing out. My biggest surprise with Cincinnati is that, yes, they've addressed this defense, but after Joe Burrow absolutely obliterated his leg, you would think they'd look to address the offensive line, and it just has not been there right now. And all this offensive linemen are being taken off the uh, market over these course of the last two days. Yeah, I think uh, I'm surprised they didn't try to get Zeitler back because that's where he, he actually started his career. I yeah. thought they'd gotten him for maybe six or seven mil a year, but Trey Hendrickson's a good player. Don't yeah. get me wrong, but – they still have Geno Atkins. I mean, they, they have veterans on that defense that have been there forever. So mm-hmm. 
Then we looked at Tennessee. We already talked about Bud Dupree, which, by the way, that was an excellent pickup for them. And then Denigal as well. That's a great pickup. My only thing with the – that would when we talked about shocks before, that was probably a real big shock, not because Bud Dupree's not a great player, but coming off an injury like he did, paying him $85 million over the course of five years. Yeah. I don't know if that's necessarily the player you want to bank on coming off an ACL tear. That see a, a Titans sort of move. I would have said maybe go for a Trey Hendrickson instead, uh, a cheaper guy who had a fantastic season last year, as opposed to a Bud Dupree who basically didn't play at all. But again, fantastic when he's not hurt. But going to help them in a uh, position in which we saw last uh, season in the playoffs against the Baltimore Ravens could not stop anything. He's going to help them out tremendously if he does come back healthy. I like that point you brought up, Kyle, and I believe Tommy is responding in regards to Trey Hendrickson. He yeah. signed for the loop. Cam Jordan won't be there. In my opinion, I'll write down seven sacks or less. Yeah, Tommy, he was a benefactor over, you know, having a guy in Cam Jordan on the other side of the line, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, got to write it down. We'll see what happens with Trey Hendricks, uh, Hendrickson. He, he's got a lot, of, a lot of great offensive lines to play now uh, between the Steelers, who actually, no, not so great. Baltimore is building their offensive line back up, and Cleveland had one of the best offensive lines in football. So having to play those opponents six times a year, we'll see how great of a defensive end he really is. It's on paper, by the way. It's on, it's on, it's on paper. Now it's official. All right. And then the Titans also add former Giant and St. Janoris Jenkins to their team. It's a nice pickup. Good number two corner at this point. Right um, now he's the number one. They don't have a number one. They uh, right. released the Dory Jackson and Malcolm let Malcolm Butler. Butler go. So yeah, he's the number one essentially point. right now. Yeah. But at this point, he's probably a number two type of corner as far as skill goes. And oh yeah, uh, Washington signs Ryan Fitzpatrick to a one-year, ten million dollar deal. Fitzmagic continues to move around. His NFL career has been nothing but a roller coaster type of journey. He was rumored to potentially uh, flirt with the idea of retiring, but he's back. He's the quarterback of the Washington football team for 2021. Probably the front runner, I should say, to be that starting guy unless they find somebody in the draft. But why Washington for Ryan Fitzpatrick? Uh, probably one of the best teams overall that kind of just needed that plug-in quarterback this free agency. I don't think that Chicago is a better place for him. Uh, Washington just coming off a playoff run, although in a injury-plagued, decimated uh, NFC East, I think that if he plays up to what he played in Miami and, and Washington having some good pieces in a Logan Thomas, Terry McLaurin, Antonio Gibson, who's watched, watch out for him because he's unbelievable as a Swiss Army Knife type of player. And the defense, you don't even have to talk about. He could be poised for a position where if he plays somewhat, you know, on that same level, he could gather them seven, eight wins in a season and keep them competitive. No, definitely. I I agree. He could potentially lead them to the division crown again, even if they don't draft the quarterback, if they want to wait another year, because they're not in contention for Lawrence or anybody. There could be more quarterbacks coming out next year. Now, I haven't looked at the class much yet heading into next year, but um, there could be somebody there if Washington falls around the same range that they did last year. But uh, only a couple more free agents I want to touch upon. Cardinals bring back Patrick Peterson. Dolphins signed Jacoby Brissett to a one-year deal to be to his backup. Uh, 
The Bears signed Andy Dalton, one-year, $10 million deals, talking about quarterbacks. Um, before we get to Dalton, we got to get to this comment. Sorry, Tom. If healthy fits will be 10-6 in the notebook, they have a great defense. Again, can't disagree. That defense alone will probably win you five games on the season. Here's the problem with Ryan Fitzpatrick. He'll win you games, but he'll also lose you games. Alex Smith never really lost you games, right? Um, except for maybe, maybe that one Giants game where he had the three interceptions. He was not good in that game. Um, but 10-6 and six against that division. Yeah, Dallas is going to be better. The Eagles aren't going to be great. The Giants may be in the same position. But I don't know their schedule, but – Again, Fitzmagic has come and erupted. I mean, we we'll saw see. what happened with Miami, right? We'll see. Uh, 10 and 6, I don't agree with, but we'll see. So, a couple more. Um, Dalvin Tom. Oh, well, let's get to Andy Dalton. Let's get to Andy Dalton. This surprised me. I, I didn't think it was impossible. I thought there, I had a feeling that it might happen. But it really surprised me because I thought if the Bears weren't able to bargain on anybody, they would just go back to Mitch Trubisky. But now apparently that's not the case. You're paying Andy, Andy Dalton $10 million for a one-year deal. And I don't dislike it, but I was definitely surprised that they went the route of Andy Dalton. Kyle, what do you think? I mean, I don't know what the hate against Mitch Trubisky was. I mean, I, I think it's not even more so the hate towards him. I think that – and this would be the case scenario for me too. If I'm the GM of the Bears and I'm the owner of the Bears, every time I look at Mitch Trubisky, I've got to say to myself, man, we passed up on Patrick Mahomes and we passed up on Deshaun Watson. And it's got to be somewhat of that factor where even as good as he played, because he played fairly well last season to earn himself another contract, Yeah, you just got to say to yourself, man, that's what we passed up on. We got to move to another option, potentially maybe just as a plug-in quarterback for a year, which probably will be the case as Andy Dalton is a veteran in this league and more so maybe at this point in his career a backup, especially with the offensive line that the Bears are going to be giving him. But we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. I don't think that he's not going to be successful, but uh, unless they necessarily protect him and Allen Robinson, I know, is not happy that he got tagged, so we'll even see if he stays on the team as the number one weapon. But – We'll see. Yeah. I think Dalton's going to like throwing to Cole Komet, their tight end out of Notre Dame. I think that's going to be his favorite target, if I'm being brutally honest with you. I don't think it's going to be Robinson. Um, but, okay. Um, and then the Vikings signed defensive tackle Dalvin Tomlinson, two-year, $22 million deal, but the Vikings commit to $16 million of that this year. So Dalvin Tomlinson basically gets a one-year $16 million contract with the option to test the market again next year. Way to go, Dalvin Tomlinson. I got to tell you, as good as he is, the Vikings, they'll probably extend him after this year if he does well, which I'm sure he will. But again, damn it. The Vikings take a Giants defensive tackle who's going to be top five in the league. Write it down. Excellent run stuffer. Excellent run stuffer. And in a division where you have guys like a DeAndre Swift and an Aaron Jones, definitely a solid acquisition. Definitely a solid. Hate to see him go, but we'll talk about it when we talk about the Giants more in depth. Cause yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, I saw this coming from a mile away. 
but it doesn't mean like you can't feel like crap about it because you know you, you there's no Giants fan that doesn't love Dalvin Tomlinson. No, I hate. I absolutely hate it. I despise the oh. fact that we did lose him, but I get it. I just didn't have yeah. the money. And then they add Nick Vigil to their linebacking core as well. So some additions there for Minnesota. But on that note, that'll be it for NFL free agency. We're going to quickly uh, – we'll recap the Knicks-Nets game last night as, of course, the NBA trade deadline is approaching, Kyle. But uh, the Nets are now on a five-game winning streak. And I know it, it seems to me like every time I check the box score for one of their games, either Durant – Irving or Harden, one of them just isn't playing, but they're still managing to win all these games. I mean, and the Knicks are a good basketball team this year. Harden puts out a triple-double. Irving explodes for 34. This Brooklyn team has some insane firepower. Yeah, I mean, this is ultimately what we all knew was going to happen. We knew defense was going to be a struggle at first, but they've kind of – solidified that a little bit. They're still giving up points, don't get me wrong, against some of the better teams in the um, NBA, but they're not giving up 140 points to the Cleveland Cavaliers anymore like they did in the first two games uh, after trading for James Harden. That's not where they stand at this point in the season. Their offense, you cannot compete with that, and when Kevin Durant does come back, because I think he's missed about, I want to say 17 games or something like that. He's missed a lot of time since his last injury, but once he comes back, it'll ultimately just be even more lethal than it already is. James Harden is now with Joel Embiid hurt. Uh, the Lakers not winning many games without Anthony Davis. Jokic and the Denver Nuggets kind of being in that bottom seed towards the Western Conference. I'd make the argument to say that James Harden is right there in the MVP conversation right now based on what he's done this season. Yeah, no, he's definitely been outstanding. 21 points, 15 boards, 15 assists last night. And that's only one by five they improved to 27 and 13 the knicks fall to 500 but julius randall has been outstanding for them 33 points 12 rebounds emmanuel quickly started the game at point guard 21 points and then rj barrett put up 23 um i feel like the knicks have their future i feel like they have their future i feel like quickly is that guy at point guard you insert barrett at the two and then you get Randall and Mitchell Robinson in the front court. And I don't know who their three is, probably Reggie Bullock or something right now, but you can live with that. You can live with that. That can be a competitive team, at least for this year. And then you could try to add a small forward next year, whether it's in free agency or the draft. I think they're in a good spot. Yeah, I would say they're definitely in a good spot. Uh, more so um, based on the fact that they really hit on Emmanuel quickly with that 25th overall pick. Otherwise, yeah. I don't know the position they'd be in because Toppin has just not been there this season offensively and defensively. He was a liability at Dayton and necessarily hasn't really developed that NBA part of his game yet. Again, he's a rookie. He'll get there. But just in terms of the development of quickly, quickly is a guy that, you know, with with strong hope, you could say is going to be the point guard of the future. Uh, I know Rose didn't play last night, so that's probably why he got the start. But that was his first start. He scored 21. He was 4 of of 12 from the three-point line, so not great. Again, his first start against probably the best team in basketball right now. So you, you take what you get in, in a young core developing. Defense has come together. The whole offense hasn't even played yet, basically. Yeah, I don't even know the amount of games. You probably count on one hand how many games Kevin Durant, James Harden, and Kyrie have all played together. Yeah, no, absolutely. And right now the Knicks are playing the Sixers on the road down in Philadelphia. Sixers 27-12, and 12, although they're without their big men. 
Joel Embiid, the game is tied at 14 in the first quarter. Low scoring quarter. Oh, now the Knicks just took a three-point lead. They're up 17-14 with two minutes to go in the first. So, but Joel Embiid's absence has been known. Uh, do you think, uh, you know, this is just out of curiosity, uh, do the Sixers, do you think they hold on to the one seed in the East the whole way through, or do you think Brooklyn potentially leapfrogs them? I think Brooklyn definitely leaps for, uh, leapfrogs them, probably within the coming days, as right now they only sit uh, half a game behind Philadelphia. Six, I think I said on one hand, so five, yeah, six. But they only sit half a game behind Philadelphia, so they could do it as easily as tonight because the Knicks, again, on any other season, you'd say no, but the Knicks have been a very impressive team defensively. And without Joel Embiid being a monster within the paint, the Knicks have a solid chance to compete and overtake Philadelphia tonight. So we'll see what happens. I never thought that Philadelphia was a, a strong team. I think they came out strong. I think they were a beneficiary as they were one of the teams that wasn't necessarily as injured as other teams in the Eastern Conference. Tom, you could attest to that with your Bucks having Drew Holiday be out for a decent amount of time. Uh, the Miami Heat, COVID struck and injury plagued in the beginning of the season, kind of getting back on the horse. Yeah. Uh, Boston having COVID problems. Uh, yeah. Indiana struggling as well. They were kind of a benefactor of that. But now that Brooklyn seems to be getting healthy and even without health, they're only a half game back of uh, Philly in the uh, second seed right now. So I think they'll overtake them probably within the next couple of days. I don't even think it's going to be a question. Yeah, and I think the Bucks have a shot to still finish in the top two as well. They're starting to come together with Drew Holiday back there. And Mamde Diakite now is, has been called up from the G League, so he's a name to keep an eye on if you're a Bucks fan. But the Nets will be at the Pacers tomorrow night. Pacers struggling right now. But uh, in the last five minutes that we have, let's move on to some hockey. The Rangers coming off a tough overtime loss to the Flyers yesterday. 5-4 loss. And the Rangers were feeling good coming into this game. They beat Boston 4-0 on Saturday. Panarin returned to the lineup, which was excellent. But unfortunately, Puknevich, Fox, and Di Giuseppe all fall on the COVID list. The Rangers still managed to win. They did a nice job. They shut them out. Kincaid with the shutout. He got the start again last night. Did not go as planned for him. Uh, second straight start in net. After shutting out the Bruins, the Rangers they didn't give them they didn't give them much help offensively. They were zero for three on the power play, but Flyers got out to an early lead, up two nothing. Rangers then scored three in the second. I remember because I watched Panarin, Blackwell, and Gauthier all scored. They were really good for this team, and having Breadman back is just outstanding. And we led in this game in the third period, four to three, until a power play goal by Claude Giroux, and then Jacob Voracek scores the game winner in OT. I mean, it's not the ideal situation, but I'm glad Panarin is back. And look, this team's young. They're going to lose hockey games. They're going to win hockey games. They're going to continue to grow. Yeah, no doubt. I don't know if you – I know we talked about it last night. I don't know if you got the chance to watch that OT goal. Just a really, really unfortunate bounce yeah. uh, from Panarin, just turnover one-on-one situation between Kincaid and Voracek. Um, kind of a bad way to end the game, but managed to get a point out of it, and that w- that's what matters ultimately in terms of – Staying competitive because Panarin did miss some time. Zibanejad is trying to find himself still as he only, I think, believes has like three goals on the season at this point in time, whereas last season he was an absolute monster. Uh, they're finding themselves. Like you said, they're a lo- young team. 
Uh, Quinn, you know, a lot of Ranger fans don't know if he's going to be the guy, but it seems in terms of John Davidson's status that he will be the guy. Uh, Sal saying the goalie situation, Gorgiev has been terrible this year. Uh, Kincaid has been okay in, in the couple games that he's played in. Shesterkin has still been good. Shesterkin, even though the wins are not there necessarily, because I think he has the same amount of wins as he does losses, I think he has like a 9-12 save percentage, which is good. Uh, but they need the younger guys to start stepping up again. We we saw it spark early, but now the fuse is kind of gone out. Lafreniere finally seems to be getting you know the wheels underneath him, and now he's gone six games without a point. Uh, Keandre Miller was finding himself and still a really great defenseman, but I'd like to – see him step up a little bit as well. But I believe another guy yesterday, uh, you had to bring up uh, Tarmo Renownen because you guys put Jack Johnson on waivers. He got his first point as a rookie uh, as well. But again, you guys, uh, and this is not to, to shade whatsoever. I just, it, it's not your year right now. Too many injuries early, uh, too many young players developing. And right now I think they sit 10 points out of a fourth spot. And, yeah. and in a situation where you, constantly play the same teams over and over again as opposed to a normal NHL season. It's just going to be so hard to overtake another one of these teams to be in a playoff situation unless they just go on an absolute tear. And in the month of March, for the remainder of the month of March, this, the, the, the schedule is just not really favorable, to be quite honest. We're looking down the schedule for the rest of the week. We host Philly again tomorrow, and then we're at the Caps Friday and Saturday. So back-to-back doubleheader against Washington. So um, – not favorable, as you said, but the Islanders, on the other note, are on a nine-game winning streak. Congratulations. He plugged it already. He plugged it already. They're down to uh, nothing right now to the Capitals at the end of the second. The Islanders are the best team in hockey right now. I'm exactly. going to be very bold. And usually when I promote the Islanders, put them in my good graces, that is the absolute kiss of death. That's the ongoing joke between Kyle, James, and myself. But, um, yes, the Islanders are the best team in the East right now, in my opinion, but did in the beginning of the season too, when they uh, when they were on that five game losing streak after you had said it on a Tuesday night, and now let's see rather going I keep my mouth shut about the Islanders. Um, but anyway, they swept the Devils with wins on Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday. So three of those nine wins came against the New Jersey Devils. But uh, they, Dobson was on the COVID list, so it's not like they they weren't at full strength. They're you know missing a guy or two here and there, and Kyle. Talk to me about the Flyers. I know they're down to nothing right now, but 19-6-4, that is nothing to uh, not be excited about. No, definitely definitely stuff to be excited about, as Sal is alluding to right now. How long is Lee out? That's going to be huge. That's that's the Islanders' captain, their leading goal scorer. You can't replace that in terms of what he brings to the table leadership-wise and goal-wise, as he I do believe he leads with 12. He, he got put on the – LTIR, which is the long-term injury reserve list. So I don't even know the timetable for him. That's going to kill them. Uh, I think the offense is still there again, but it's going to be lessened than what it already was. I think that's going to hurt them tremendously. Uh, we'll see what happens there. Pajot actually went on the COVID list for like a day and then came off himself. So that's nice to see that his offensive presence will be felt and not out for a week or however long he's out for on the protocols. Dobson on the defense, that hurts a lot even though they have guys like Letty, who's been tremendous this season, Pollock and Pellick, who have been great this season, but missing his presence as well is going to hurt, especially as the Islanders now, because again, and not to lessen the win streak, because nine straight wins in any sport is tremendous, 
but coming all against New Jersey and the Buffalo Sabres, who are at the bottom of the Eastern Conference and at the bottom of the NHL right now, uh, the remainder of the month of March, you're playing teams like Washington tonight, Philadelphia on a road trip, Philly at home, then an away trip, Boston and Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, they've only beat one time this season. In fact, in the month of February, the Islanders had beat every single opponent except for Pittsburgh. They lost to them four times in February. So they've had their struggles with them. They had their struggles early on in the season with some of these more dominant teams like Philly and Washington. So we'll see what happens as they are on a hot streak right now. Hopefully can pull something off in the third period as Thomas plagued them on this Tuesday evening. But we'll see what happens if they're able to turn this around late in the third. I wouldn't bet against the Islanders. That's all I'm going to say. Keep on putting it out there. James, yep. I hope you're watching. The team's good. It's pretty good. But um, all right, guys. So that that's going to wrap up the show for tonight. Uh, it's great to be back with you here, Kyle, on Review and Preview. I know James, his work schedule is picking up, so he'll be back as we get closer to the draft. We'll have the whole team back by then. And uh, Quick reminder – uh, with the NFL draft coming up, we want to plug this now, and we're going to plug it every week until then, to sign up for our 2021 NFL Draft Video Challenge. Kyle had this idea. I think you were the person that came up with this, yeah. right? Yeah. You kind of want to explain to the viewers what that is and what we do for it? Yeah, so obviously you know, you're a football fan. You know your team. You know their status right now in the draft, whether they have a first-round pick or not. What the objective is, is we want a recording of yourself reacting to your first-round pick, what you think, what your team could have done, uh, your reaction to the pick, basically. And then submit it to us, and we create a whole montage in order of what uh, the videos that we've assembled together that we've gotten from our fans and our viewers, obviously, and present them on our social media platforms. Tom, did you say Facebook as well? I know Instagram, but Facebook as well? Facebook and Instagram, Yes. Facebook and Instagram is where they will be advertised on our page at Review and Preview Sports. Uh, so make sure to sign up. We're putting it out there now because last year was kind of a last-minute idea. Uh, not that we didn't have a great year, but obviously with uh, more time and more awareness of it now, a month and a half out, have all the time in the world to sign off. If you want to be a participant in this year's uh, Review and Preview Draft Selection Reaction Challenge. So make sure you contact either me, James, Tom, any of the members of the Review and Preview staff, DM us, hit us up on Facebook, Instagram, anything you want uh, if you do want to take part in this year's draft. As you can see, we have plenty of spots still remaining. So commit to your team today. Even if you're not a fan, if you know a lot about that team, you can still participate, and we'd love to have you. So on that note, Kyle, thanks a lot for joining me tonight. It's a lot of fun, and uh, we're going to get back to work here soon. And, folks, We'll be back next week with a special guest, Kevin Fitzmorris of JDF Sports. He will be joining the show to talk about the New England Patriots and their recent shopping spree. On behalf of Kyle Russo, this is Tom Scavetta saying so long. You've been watching Review and Preview here on Facebook Live. Everybody, have a good night.